If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bible or app, whatever you have, we're going to be in John 6 tonight. So you go ahead and go there. Um, but yeah, I hope you guys enjoy Chicken Tenders. And man, I'm looking forward to this new series, uh, like Ethan mentioned. I'm excited about this. But uh, like he mentioned, we are going to be starting our new series in the seven I Am Statements of John, uh, which I'm really looking forward to. Because if you don't know much about the book of John, it's really built around the life of Jesus, his ministry, his teachings, but specifically who he is and how he is the Son of God and how Jesus is God. And really seven times in the book of John, Jesus makes a statement, I am the blank. You know, I didn't say the blank. He says, I am the something and fill in the blank. And he says a couple different things. He gives us a a word picture. And the reason we kind of chose this series to do is because I think... First off, it really plays well off what we talked about recently with our filler series, but also these are really special places in the Bible um, for us that I think are going to be really impactful for us because, you know, like our first vision statement or part of our vision statement as a church is no God, right? Uh, no God, find community, live on mission. You hear it all the time here. Um, but when you think about God and like knowing God, like how do you really know God? Like what does it even mean like to know him? And so I, I think the as we look at these seven I am statements, it's going to give a lot of handles on that for us because you think about God, like if you have any concept of God being, you know, infinite and, and big and eternal, like how do you know something like that? You know, how do you come to know an infinite God? Well, Jesus came as God revealed to us. He came as, you know, the image of the invisible God. And so as we look to Jesus in his life, we see God revealed to us. And then we get to look at these seven I am statements and not just see Jesus revealed to us, um, Jesus re- revealing God to us. But Jesus describing himself to us. And we're not even looking at what other people have said about Jesus, as important that, as that is in the Bible. But even Jesus himself, like, revealing who he is to us. And so these, these are some really special places in the Bible that I think give us some really great insight. Let me just tell you, like, my, my heart behind this um, as we start this series. Is that um, as we look at these seven I am statements over the next seven sessions, we'll take some breaks a little bit throughout the semester. We won't do the next seven weeks. Um, but my heart is really that we would seek to, uh, to know Jesus more, uh, to know him intimately, and let that knowledge of him revealed to us, like change our hearts, uh, change our, our not just view of him, but our view of ourselves. And that, that love for him would really propel us to want to make him known to more people. And so uh, really as we behold Jesus, I believe we're, we're changed more and more by looking at him. And so our heart during this study is to, to know him more, to love him more, to share him more, if you want to kind of summarize it like that. And so I'm really looking forward to this. Um, but as we get into this um, with the seven I am statements, you've got a, a lot of different ones that we won't list them all right now. Um, but tonight we're looking at Jesus being the bread of life. And I almost thought about bringing like some bread and like putting it up here like a loaf of that Barton bread that like Miss, Miss Barton cooks sometimes. It's like it is the, the bread from heaven. It is like literally amazing. I think some of y'all had it one time. I mean, who's had Miss Barton's bread before? I know a few y'all have. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. It's super good. We, I really, if I was a better college minister, I would have got her to cook some for tonight, but I didn't think about it. So you can imagine just this heavenly bread. Like it's amazing. But um, as we think about this idea of the bread of life, one thing I want us to think about first before we get into John six is the importance of Jesus saying, I am, because we're going to talk about for the next seven weeks, Jesus saying, I am this. But a lot of times we, we miss the significance of Jesus even saying, I am anything. Because if you go back and think about Old Testament, uh, if you've been in Sunday school much, you've maybe heard these stories, but when God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus, in the burning bush, how did God reveal himself? What did he tell Moses his name was? I, I am. Okay. Yeah, I am. You guys are doing good. Okay. Uh, but in Hebrew, that's the word Yahweh, which uh, it really kind of means like I am or I am who I am. 
And then when God, sorry, when Moses goes to um, Pharaoh, he says, yeah, I am sent me. And then kind of throughout the Old Testament, that, beca- that begins to come God's like, begins to become God's uh, personal name. That the people know God by the name of Yahweh. But it really begins to represent like his holiness and his power. So much to the point that like even today when Jews read the Old Testament in Hebrew, they won't say the word Yahweh. Like they'll see like the letters on the page, but they won't say Yahweh. They say, they say Adonai, which is the Hebrew word for Lord or Master. And you've heard the word Jehovah before. The word Jehovah is actually um, a, kind of a made-up Hebrew word. It doesn't really mean anything by itself because they took Yahweh and Adonai and combined them together to write it out, and it became Jehovah. So Jehovah's is not, not really a legit Hebrew word. It's kind of a combination of words. That's your random 50-cent quiz info for tonight. But, um, but it becomes, Yahweh becomes God's personal name. But then when Jesus comes to earth, in the Gospel of John, in his ministry, he begins to identify himself in specific ways, right? And he begins to say, yeah, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the, uh, the good shepherd. Right? I am the light of the world. But it's not just um, significant that he says, I am those things, but that he used that idea of I am specifically. Because if you look at like John eight fifty eight, where Jesus says, um, before Abraham was, I am. What he's doing there is making a very significant claim. And some people even add that as like the eighth I am statement. Um, but when he says before Abraham was, I am, he's saying, listen, I existed before Abraham did, and I am, I am. And actually, I won't bore you with the Greek and Hebrew stuff, but the Greek structure of that and the way it was translated from the Hebrew actually is in a very specific structure to where it not just says I am, but it's like double emphasis on the I am. And it's a direct correlation to the Old Testament where he says, where God says he's Yahweh. And so we can have coffee and talk about the nerdiness of that if you want to. But, um, but when Jesus says I am in the way he did in his ministry, he was making a specific declaration. Listen, I am, I am. I am the great I am. And that's why like, we see in the, in the Gospels, if you've read the Gospels much before, like the, the scribes and the Pharisees freak out when Jesus says things like this. They want to try to kill him. They run him off. He has to you know, like, hide himself from them somehow in this mysterious way. It's because they know what he's claiming. Right? They know he's claiming that he's God. And that's one significant thing about this because sometimes you hear today like, well, Jesus, he, didn't, he never said he was God. Right? Jesus might have been a good prophet, a good teacher, but he never really said he was God. Well, yeah, he never absolutely said, hey, guys, I'm God. <laughs> he knew because if he did that, there would be a lot of problems with people misinterpreting that. They, wanted to, they would like to want to make him their, their king in a way that was not what he came to do. But he did say in some very specific ways that he was God through these I am statements, through things like before Abraham was I am. And we see that he at least believed he was God. But then we combine that with things like his miracles, his resurrection, the fact that Christianity has exploded in growth around the world and that we even believe in Jesus now because we're in America, we're not in Jerusalem, uh, is a testament that Jesus really was and is, is God. And so as we even begin to unpack these I am statements, it's really important to remember that there's a lot of power in these things, even in Jesus just saying uh, I am. Because in that, Jesus is revealing he is God revealed to us. All right? So with that, that's kind of my background of some significance of, about this. Um, but if you want to look at John 6... We're going to kind of get there tonight, um, but before we read the actual verses, I want to kind of give you some backstory on what's going on, because uh, we're going to kind of pick up in the middle of a conversation, and it can be really weird if you've ever done that before. You walked in the middle of a conversation, and you're like, this is awkward. I'm going to back away now. You know? So like, we're going to kind of give you some backstory so you know what's going on before we jump into this. Okay? But at this point in, Je- in Jesus' ministry, in the book of John, uh, Jesus is experiencing like wild success. He has thousands of people who are following him, because they've seen him uh, work his miracles. They've seen him work his power. Um, 
And as people hear and as they experience Jesus, he begins to gain a following, right? People leave their, um, their lives, they leave their families, they leave their jobs to follow him. And the question is why? Like, why would they leave all this stuff? Well, it's because they believed he, he was the Messiah, which in their context, and really in a mi- little bit of a misinterpretation, many of the people of the Jews at the time believed that the Messiah was going to come and was going to be like a political leader. Because the Jerusalem, or the Jews at the time in Israel, were under the... Uh, opposition under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And so they were subjugated by this empire. They were not allowed to live in the the way they would like to. They don't like to be ruled by someone else. And so they were under this oppression. They believed the Messiah was going to come and set them free from that and even some more things along that. But really, they see Jesus as this great leader. They see the powers working and think, man, that's our Savior. Our Savior has finally come. But the problem is they have a little bit wrong definition of who their Savior is. And we'll get to that more in a minute. But as we get to John 6 tonight that we're going to look at, here's the thing. The crowd's grown to thousands. All right? And at one point, Jesus one day is teaching on mountain. He's teaching about the kingdom of God. Lots of people are gathered around. They say 5,000 men, which could be about 15,000 people. You count women and children, right? They're all gathered. That's a lot of people. That's like a pretty big church right there, right? 15,000 people. It's a lot bigger than Alberta. Okay? Um, we can't hold that many people in like 15 of our sanctuaries. So... Anyway, well, the day goes on, and people get, start to get hungry, right? And they don't have the amazing chicken and french fries that we fed you tonight for dinner. So they're getting hungry, and Jesus, as he normally does, likes to mess with his disciples and use teachable moments. And so he's like, man, like, there's a lot of people here. Like, what are we going to feed them? And the disciples are like freaking out, like, we don't know Jesus. Like, we don't have any food. And Jesus is like, okay, give me, give me this. And so he takes like a Hebrew Happy Meal of like some fish and some, and some bread, all right, you like that? Uh, fish and bread, he takes two lo- two, sorry, five loaves of bread and two fish and feeds the 5,000 people, F- sorry, 5,000 men, 15,000 people, and it's a miracle, right? We've all maybe heard that before, the feeding of the 5,000. Um, but the thing is, is the way that people react is really interesting, and that's kind of leading us into our uh, story tonight. He multiplied bread from heaven, like he, he did a miracle. And they immediately say, hey, we want to make him our king. But their response in that, as we'll see, is, is very self-centered. They think, oh, this guy can give us what we need. He can give us food. He can give us, you know, comfort. He can provide everything that we need, right? He can do whatever we need to, done for us. Let's make him our king. And Jesus knows this. He knows their hearts, and so he withdraws. I don't know how that, how that works, but he somehow, like, leaves in the night. People don't know it. They wake up the next day, and they go looking for Jesus. He's not there. They can't find him. And so the people they're on the mountain, begin to journey. They journey across the sea to Capernaum, and they find him in the synagogue. And this is where our story begins, okay, in John 6 tonight. And so, but as we look at this, I kind of want to point out one specific thing that really kind of teaches us a lot about this, is that before this conversation happens in John 6, Jesus Jesus has thousands of followers, thousands upon thousands of followers. By the end of this conversation, because this is late in the ministry of Jesus, he has dozens Right? He has thousands of followers before this conversation, dozens after. And this is just the first I am statement. All right? We're, you know, so it's a pretty bold thing happening here. Because what Jesus does is he offers a definition of what it means to follow him, a definition of life they, that they don't agree with. And he begins to expose their motivation and shows that by the end of the section that only a few of them actually really wanted what Jesus really was there to offer. Okay? And so let's look at this together, starting in verse 25 of John 6, and I'll pray for us again, and then we'll unpack some of this tonight. Okay? All right. Starting in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Sorry, I got to turn turn my page. Awkward pause. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you for this word tonight. We thank you that Jesus truly is the bread of life that can satisfy um, our every true need, um, that can satisfy our our desire and our need for real life. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would um, show us through your word the beauty of Jesus, our need for him, uh, how he truly is the all-satisfying Savior, that you would speak through me to communicate your timeless message of the beauty of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so who here likes bread? We have any big bread fans? All right. You ever thought much about bread? Bread is a really interesting thing. Like it became, early on, bread was a very simple thing, right? But we've made it a very complicated thing in America. Like you have like 15,000 kinds of bread now. You know, you've got like, you got the gluten-free bread, right? And then you got like the, that's not the probably best place to start. But like, wheat, it's not really, it is bread though, I guess, kind of. I don't know. But you got, you know, wheat, white, whole grain, cinnamon raisin. You know, you can go on and on and on with that. You've got all kinds of variations of bread. You've got Babe's Donuts kind of bread, which is some legit bread, right? Um, but we, we love bread, right, in America. And we have a plethora, which is a great word, of bread at our disposal, right? But if you think about bread in terms of just like what it represents in this passage, it's interesting because like, what, what do we say when someone is like the primary provider of their household? They're the breadwinner, right? Or if you're like bringing home a lot of money to provide for your family, you're bringing home the, the bread or the bacon, yes, okay. He's not the bacon of life, though. That's a different story, okay? So um, that'd be a, that's, the, that's in the message translation. He's the bacon of life, okay? Uh, yes. But there's the thing, like bread, when we talk about bread, we're not just talking about, you know, well, in this story at least, the actual substance of bread, as much as I wanted to bring the Barton bread up here. It's a representation of something, right? And especially for like Old Testament times when they didn't have as many amazing options, they didn't have Aldi and, you know, fresh food and stuff like that to go to. They didn't have as many options of food in that time. Bread really represented like being provided for, right? Bread represented like having a full and satisfied life of having your needs met, right? Of being able to take care of your family and take care of yourself, right? So to have bread was to have life, right? No bread, right? You may not eat, may not live, right? But to have bread was to have life. And so when Jesus talks about himself being the bread of life, here's what he's really pointing at and what we'll begin to unpack in this passage. He's saying he is the true source of life. He's the true source of life, all right? And I want to kind of unpack that because that's a really general, broad statement that means not much unless you understand it. So I gave you a few points here to kind of guide you tonight, but we're going to kind of really just follow the story and unpack it some. But the first thing I want to show you is this. We're all looking for some source of life or looking for life somewhere, all right? So let's go back and look at verses 25 through 26 one more time, okay? And let's kind of trace his story, see what's going on, okay? 
Verse 25 and 26 again. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So kind of think through this story. we got the people coming to find Jesus the next day after he feeds on the mountain. And we know why they're there, right? We talked about it a second ago. They want to set him up as like their puppet king to, to free them from Roman oppression and to give them like literally the good life, right? That's what they want because he miraculously gave them bread on the mountain. Like imagine what he could do if he was their king, right? Um, but their motivation is selfish, and we, we see that here. And Jesus knows that. And I love how he doesn't even answer their question in that verse. You notice that? They're like, hey, Jesus, like, what you doing here? And he's like, cut the crap. I know why you're here. <laughs> he's like, you're looking for bread. You know, he's like, don't, don't ask me these dumb questions. Like, you're here for bread. But here's the thing. We can look at this and say, man, these people just don't get it. And we'll look at this and probably say that a lot tonight. But we can stand in judgment over them. But there's really some big applications for us that we, we tend to live like these people in many ways. But to even understand that, I want to kind of back, backtrack for a second in the Old Testament one more time to point out something we need to know about in this passage to understand it fully. Because these people are Jews, right, that he's talking to. This is um, first century Jews that Jesus is ministering to. And so they have a cultural narrative of the Old Testament that they all kind of ascribe to. And so when we talk about bread from heaven, they're thinking something maybe different than we, we don't think. We think Barton bread, but I think bread from heaven, right? They think of manna, <laughs> all right? So if you go back in the Old Testament, Exodus 16, I won't read it, but in the story of the people of Israel, after we have the burning bush, Moses conversation, Moses goes and he leads people out of Israel from Pharaoh, delivers them from slavery. They go through the Red Sea, all this kind of thing, and they go into the wilderness, and God's leading them toward the promised land. And while they're in the wilderness, they begin to realize, hey, this place is, like, not good for food. Like, we don't have much food here, right? We were eating really well in Egypt, not much food now. And what do they do? They start complaining. They start to, to grumble in many ways. And God, in his mercy, doesn't, like, you know, smite them all, you know, which is a great word, smite. He doesn't, like, take them all out because they were grumbling. But in his mercy, he says, okay, I'll provide for you, you know? I'll provide for you. And so what he does is he begins to send bread from heaven, and the Bible, Old Testament, describes it like as a sweet, flaky bread, kind of like frosted flakes from heaven, really, but like a sweet, flaky bread. And the, the funny thing is, the word manna in Hebrew really means, what is it? Which is like what they did when they first went out there the first day. They're like, what is this? And that would be in Hebrew, manna. And that's what they named it. They were like, oh, what is it? You know, and so that's really why manna is called manna. It's like, what is this? Well, it's sweet, flaky bread from heaven, okay? But that's what Jesus fed, or what God fed them for 40 years in the wilderness, but he only gave them enough for every day. He told them each day, hey, don't gather more than, from, than one day. If you do, it's going to rot and be gross and have maggots in it. And it did. If they tried to preserve for more than one day, except for on the Sabbath. He would always get, allow them to gather two days worth so they didn't have to work on the Sabbath. But God did this for 40 years. God provided for him. And then you kind of fast forward a few thousand years later. People begin to prophesy about this Messiah that's going to come to restore the nation of Israel. And the people um, begin to hear about these signs and miracles he's going to be working to go along with who he is. We well, fast forward a few hundred years later after that, Jesus shows up and starts working miracles. And one of these miracles is kind of like the manna from in the Old Testament. They begin, begin to think, man, this guy, is, he's the Messiah. But the problem is that their response to the miracles is not right. Like if you look at how they respond here, they're not saying like, hey, these signs mean that you're the Messiah. This means you're, you're, the, um, you're God coming in human form to save us from our sins, right? They don't respond in that way. Their response to the, to the miracles is what? Hey, you have any more of that bread from yesterday? That was great. We really could use some more of that. And that's their response 
is, do you have any more bread? And look at verse 27 and see how Jesus responds to this, all right? Verse 27, he says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And what we have here is Jesus begins to expose the hearts of the people. Because what he's saying is, listen, he's like, you're not looking for life. Sorry, you're looking just for life in the physical. You've got these, this tunnel vision going on right now. You're only looking at the physical world. But what he wants them to do is begin to look at, listen, you've got some needs that go beyond simple physical life. Like You need real life. And it's easy for us to kind of judge them and do the same. But like I said in this first point, we're all searching for life. And sometimes we don't even realize what we're looking for. Because in, in the Greek... There's two words for life in the Greek language. Um, there's bios and there's zoe. All right? Bios is what we would normally call like physical life, like your heart's beating, that kind of stuff, like you're alive, right? But zoe, which is like zoe, like your cousin there, um, that means life in, in Greek. So that's, if you have someone named Zoe, they mean, their name's life in Greek. But zoe means eternal life in Greek. It's a much more significant life. It's the kind of life that God has in himself. It's the, it's the life that God gives to us through Jesus. In like Romans 6, 4, when Paul says that we've been buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life, he says we've been raised to walk in newness of Zoe. It's eternal life. It's, it's significant. It's full. It's meaningful. And we'll unpack that more later. But what Jesus is saying here, first off, is that to the people and to us, is that we have a need for life that goes beyond the physical. We have a need for life that goes beyond the physical. Because food is important. We get that. That's why we feed you dinner on Wednesday nights and Sundays we feed you cereal. Frosted flakes like manna from heaven. All right? But he's saying that while food is important, we have a hunger that goes beyond the normal hunger. We have a thirst that goes beyond a physical thirst. We need Zoe. We need Zoe life. And if you're honest with yourself, like you know that you have a deep need within yourself that you maybe can't seem to satisfy with anything else. You have a hole in your life that you're struggling to find fulfillment in that hole any other way. And we talked about that some with the filler series, things like relationships and and success and entertainment, things like that. We try to fill this void in our lives created by this separation from God with other things. And we're looking for Zoe life in those ways. But no matter what, we can't seem to find that fulfillment. There's this frustration. There's this nagging emptiness because those things, while they may feel good for a little bit, they begin to fade. They begin to perish, like Jesus says. They can't give us meaning and purpose in life like we're looking for. It's because we had to find our life, our true Zoe life, somewhere else. But the problem is we settle all too easily, even when it comes to Christianity. And I'll unpack that in a second. But let's look at that second point together. Like I said, we settle all too easily for counterfeit life. Look at verse 28. We're going to go 28 to 34 here. Then Jesus said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they sent to him, so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. All right, you see their response here is that Jesus is beginning to expose their hearts even more in this process. Because if we see right here, they're not really interested in a relationship with Jesus. All right, they're only interested in what he can do for them. 
Like Jesus talks, starts talking about bread from heaven and working toward food that perishes. And they begin to think, all right, okay, what work do we need to do to get this bread? All right, Jesus, like, we get it. We, we need to earn this. Okay, what do we need to do to earn it? What work must I be doing to get this bread from heaven? And Jesus responds by trying to change their focus. Right? He says, listen, like, you can't earn a relationship with me. Right? You can't, uh, the only work you could even do is to believe. Right? And believe in the one that God has sent. To believe, as he was saying, in himself. But we hear that word believe a lot of times in the, in the church, and we think belief, and we think, okay, I just agree with, right? I get it. The ABCs, admit, believe, confess. I get it. Like, I, I understand Jesus is God, yada, yada, yada. But that belief is not simply like a mental assent, like a mental agreement. Uh, the word believe in the Greek is uh, the word pistuo. I'm on like a Greek train tonight. I don't know why. All right, but it's the word pistuo, which has a much more significant definition than simply to agree with something. Because when Jesus says to believe in him, He's saying that he wants people to put their full trust and their full confidence in him. What he's asking in this passage is he wants absolute allegiance to himself above everything else. And that's what he means by believe. And the people, I think they begin to understand that a little bit because Jesus is making a bold statement. And he's saying, listen, you've got to give me absolute allegiance here. And they're like, okay, well, if you're going to do that, Jesus, then we need another sign. Right? If you're going to ask for your, full, for your full allegiance or our full allegiance, then give us another sign. But then you begin to think about, wait, they just had a sign yesterday. Right? Why do you need more signs, people? Like we've already, Jesus already fed 15,000 people yesterday. And my theory is, is that they were like, okay, wait. If he does another sign, maybe he'll like not be very creative and just do the one he did yesterday again, and we'll get more bread. <laughs> you know, like they're kind of going back to this bread thing. Um, they're going back to that over and over again. But that's why this reference from manna kind of comes in when they begin to bring it up. Because what they say to Jesus here is this. Listen, Jesus, like Moses provided, sorry, Moses proved that he was God's representative to us by providing bread in the wilderness. So what are you going to do? If Moses was God's representative then, he did the bread. What are you going to do for us? And Jesus responds by saying, no, listen, first off, God provided that bread in the wilderness, not Moses. But he provided that to sustain your ancestors, all right? It wasn't just for their, for their comfort. It was for their sustenance in the wilderness. And now he's provided a greater manna, a better and greater manna, and that is me, or Jesus, right? That is Jesus. He's the true source of life, the heaven, the, the bread from heaven that has come down. But the, the people don't see it. They, they miss it again. He's going back and forth. And I heard a story one time of a man who was a, he was a missionary in a really desert region. And what he would do to kind of serve the people he was ministering is he would go and he would get clean water from the city. And he would take it out to the people because they didn't have any clean water out there. Lots of people in the world don't have access to clean water. And so what he would do is he would take the water from the, from the city, from village to village. He would go to one village and drop off clean water and then go to the second village. And he would load up his wagon with barrels of clean water and take it out and give it out so they could, um, they could live um, but one day, he left the city and goes to take clean water to the first village, does his duty, and moves on to go to the second village, and he, ne- he never makes it to the second village. And, you know, the villagers wait. A day passes, nothing, no one hears anything. Two days pass, no one hears anything. So the third day, they send out a search party looking for him. And they find him about halfway between the two cities, and he's dead in his wagon. They're like, what happened? So they, they take his body, and they take it to the city, and they get an autopsy. And the doctor walks out and says to the people, this man died of dehydration. He literally died with water all around him, but he was too busy trying to serve you guys to even drink for himself. He died from dehydration with water all around him. And I think a lot of times for us, 
that can be what can happen to us. Because that's the temptation that the Jews here are facing, is that they've got Jesus right there with them. They've got the water right there with them, but they're missing it. And they're in risk of dying of dehydration, even though the water of life is right there in front of them. And the same thing can happen for us because, you know, if, if we claim to be a Christian because we simply want the benefits of Christianity, but not the Christ of Christianity, we can be that guy who dies with water all around him and doesn't drink. We, we can come to church. We can do the Bible studies. We can do the mission trips. We can do service projects. We can be motivated by guilt, by a need of a social life, by, by the Bible Belt culture. But we can end up like that guy, surrounded by water, but dying of thirst and have the access to all this and not truly drink of it. And the way we can maybe realize this is there's going to be a disconnect between our public appearance of our relationship with God and our private walk with him. So, Because we'll, if this is the thing in our lives, then we'll talk about God but not talk to God. We'll talk about reading God's word and talk about it, but we won't read it for ourselves. We'll care more about what people say about us in public than what God says about us in private. We become way more concerned with the, the results and the benefits and not the true Jesus of Christianity. Because being, a part, being part of the church, it, it may change your schedule, but Jesus changes your heart. All right, Being part of the church can change your schedule, but only Christ can change your heart. And a relationship with him is what truly changes you. Because too many times we're tempted to look to Christ just for the benefits. You know, we want to look to Jesus for peace in the midst of a busy school semester. We want to look to Jesus at, at his, his church as a place to make friends. We want to look to Jesus as a way for us to feel like a good person because we're religious and we do good things and we pray, right? But when we, when we look to him for those things, but not look to him for a relationship, but to know him and to find our life in him, we're just like these people in this passage. We're looking to Jesus for the benefits without looking to really make him our life and make him our treasure. And our belief becomes false, and it becomes empty. Because here's the thing, and I've been really wrestling with this a lot. You know that Jesus is as a person. He's not a concept. He's not a system, right? He's a person. And we, to have a relationship with him involves interaction. And so many times, especially seminary, makes it difficult for me. We study so much about systematic theology, and we study all these great doctrines, read these great books. It becomes very easy to become like a laboratory scientist when it comes to God and view him as like this subject to be studied, this concept to be examined. And, I, and it's easy to forget that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are, it's a person, a person to have a relationship with. All right, and he calls us to believe in him, and when he calls us to do that, he's calling us to find our life in him to be completely devoted to our relationship with him, to find our meaning, our identity, and our treasure in him. And there's definite benefits to following him, but when those become the end, end game, then we're missing the whole thing. We may not even have true life in him at all. And that's why the people walked away from his teaching, because they began to realize that his definition of true life was something that they weren't willing to, to do. The cost was too high. So let's look at this last section here. Point number three, real life it's only found in Jesus. Start at verse 35 here. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And, and the rest of that section there, we won't read tonight, is really Jesus unpacking what it means for him to be the bread of life. But if you, if you skip down to verse 53, Jesus really kind of even expands this more. In verse 53, he says, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of God, sorry, son of man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, 
and I will raise him up on the last day. And right now you're like, man, I'm so glad I ate that chicken and ate those fries. We're talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. This is just about a great dessert, right? No, ugh, it's gross, right? We get it. Like, it it's, a, it's a weird, it makes me uncomfortable like, if you really think about it. If we feel uncomfortable, imagine what the Jews felt like. Because we're used to the Lord's Supper terminology like, this is his body, this is his blood, this stale cracker and this grape juice, you know. And so like, <laughs> but um, we, we get that analogy, right? But the Jews, they, had, they didn't hear that. They didn't have that before. So imagine how they felt about, you know, Jesus talking this way. But the problem is this, is that if we begin to kind of you know, respond that way, we have to realize he's speaking in metaphor, as you obviously understand, um, your college students. But we need to think about this metaphor even more because what he's saying is this, is that if we don't make Christ our own life, we're not going to have life at all because he is the source of life. That's why Paul can say in Galatians 2.20, You've heard it before maybe, but he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Because here's the thing. Jesus has not come to improve our life. He's come to be our life. He hasn't come to improve your life. He's come to give you life. He's come to be your life. Just like the Israelites had to depend on the manna day by day from heaven, we have to depend daily on Christ for life. We have to look to him for our source of life above all other things. The Israelites had no other place to look for manna every day but to God. In the same way, we have to look to Jesus every day for life. And the, the crazy thing is that, like I mentioned earlier, this is really late in Jesus' ministry. We're, we're over two years in his ministry at this point. So these people who are following him have seen Jesus a lot. They spent a lot of time with him. But even in all that of hearing him teach and walking with him and all this kind of stuff, they missed what it really meant to believe in him. And when that time came for that to be exposed, they walked away. Because they wanted Christ to conform to their image and to conform to their expectations, not the other way around. They, they were affected by him. They were impressed by him. Maybe they felt some emotions from him. But they, they missed him. They missed him. And my fear is that a lot of people here, a lot of people in our church are the same way, that they're, they're missing Jesus, that, that we've played this church game so long to where you know, we've, we've been influenced by Christianity, we know all the right vocabulary, we've done the Bible studies, that you can give me the ABCs, we've done the trips, but when it really comes to what we're looking um, to find our life from, it's not Jesus, it's somewhere else. We, we look at things like comfort and relationships and possessions and our, our life plan. And we say, yeah, this is what I really want. This is what I really need. And I may throw some Jesus in there to make me feel better about myself, but I'm not really looking for my true life in Jesus. Because the hard part about that that we understand is that if we find our true life in Christ, it means we're going to have to give up something, right? We're going to have to give up what we're looking to for our you know, false life. We have to give up our five-year plan. Right? Maybe I had to give up that plan to get that you know, PhD that you want to get because you're crazy and you want to spend 10 years in school. Um, just kidding, Katie. <laughs> no, but you may have to give up our five-year plan. Right? We may have to give up that relationship. Right? You may have to give up that major. You, have to, you may have to give up that addiction, that sin. But the things that we're tempted to find life in that are apart from Christ, you know, we may have to give those things up. And we have to have a radical uh, different view of those things. Because Christ never shied away from asking for, um, for our full allegiance in life. He was very clear about that because he offers the only true source of life and meaning and purpose. Um, and I love how uh, a guy named Jamin Roller preached a, a sermon on this passage I, I got to listen to. He said it this way. He said, Jesus is the only bread that will break for you. Every other bread will break you. 
Jesus is the only bread that will break for you. Every other bread will break you. And I love that because everything else that we try to find life in is eventually going to leave us broken and empty and looking for life somewhere else. But Jesus not only gives us life, he was broken to give us life. And we celebrate that in the Lord's Supper. But he came to earth to live a perfect life, to die a death on a cross in our place, one that we deserved. And he was resurrected to show his power over sin and death. And and we can now find life in him by, by feasting on his grace, man, by drinking the cup of his forgiveness. And he is more than enough for us. That we'll, we'll never go hungry. We'll never be, um, never be longing to find true life again because we can find it in him. Uh, but as we begin to close, I want to look at just one more set of verses here tonight. Um, because what, it's great to talk about Jesus being the source of life. But what does that look like? like what, what does that kind of like have skin and bones on it a little bit? Well, we, give a, we have a great example of that just right down the, uh, the page here. Look at verse 66. All right? I'm going to compare and contrast how the crowd responds Versus how the rest, versus how the twelve disciples respond, those who actually were committed to following Christ. Look at verse sixty-six. After this, after this whole discourse about eating his flesh, drinking his blood, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, "Do you want to go away as well?" Simon Peter answered him, "Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you." Are the Holy One of God. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. <laughs> I love that so much because it's like, where, 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 where can we go, Jesus? Like, yeah, this is hard. Well, where am I going to go? You're it. You're the only source of, of real life. Like, we can't find real life anywhere else, right? You're the only place we can find healing from our brokenness and like true life and, and meaning and purpose and satisfaction, uh, a, a fulfillment and a fill to this void and a restoration with how we were made and what we were made for, right? Right, that's their response here, and all that comes from simply surrendering our life to him because that's where true life is found. That's, that's what true belief is. So if you want to compare and contrast like true and false belief here, it's really found in how we respond to the words of Jesus. Because if you see how Peter says, you alone have the words of eternal life. And so the difference between true and false belief is how we respond. Because the, the crowd responded, responded by saying, this is hard. Who can accept it? This is weird, Jesus. You're talking about eating your flesh and drinking your blood. We just want the bread. We just want to have an easy life and just kind of do what we want to and throw a little bit of you in there to make us feel good about ourselves. You're, you're calling for absolute allegiance and asking us for it to be, to be weird in the eyes of our culture. This is too hard for us. We're out. That's how they responded, right? They hardened their hearts to the words of Christ. And my prayer for you tonight is you, you would not harden your, word, your heart to the words of Christ just because it seems costly. But the disciples who truly believed, they responded in a little bit different way. They said, yes, this is hard. They didn't deny that. But they said, it's true. And this is worth giving my life for. Because I, I love that. that. That's saying that true belief, here's the thing, true belief doesn't mean that we have it all figured out. Right? True belief doesn't mean that we don't have questions. doesn't mean that we're not wrestling, that we're not struggling. Right, that's not true belief. True belief has those kind of issues. Right? The life of the disciples makes that very clear. If you read their, their lives, they had a lot of struggles they, they went through, even after um, Jesus um, ascended and had the Holy Spirit come. But true belief is the recognition that Jesus is the only place that life can be found. Right? And to say that, all right, where else can I go? Where else am I going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. It's worth it. It may be hard, but it is worth it. So that's what true belief is. That's my prayer for you tonight, is that that's how we would respond together. So as we close, I want to ask you this question. Where are you finding your bread? 
Where are you finding your, your true source of life at? Where, where are you looking for life at? Are you looking for it in relationships? From the approval of another person? Right? From the affections, from the attention of another person? Are you looking for life in the approval of people in general? What they say about you? Are you more concerned about what people say about you in public than what God says about you in private? Are you looking for life in substances? In, you know, in a bottle, in a pill, in, in media? Are you looking to try to numb the pain of a, of a lack of life in your own existence by numbing it with things? Are you looking for life in religion? In empty religion? Simply going through the motions of showing up to church, suiting up and showing up. How does doing the, the religious game? Or are you really looking to find your life in Jesus and make him your treasure and your all-consuming passion? Because that's what it means to, Jesus, to have Jesus be the bread of life. So whatever it is that you're, you know, you're looking to find life in, because I think we're all struggling in different ways for that, um, would you be willing tonight to give that thing up to Jesus and find your life in him? And, and, and even to pray to the Lord tonight and say, listen, God, I, I'm, I realize I'm trying to find even some element of life in this thing. But I realize it can't satisfy me. And I want to put my full life, my full trust, my full belief in you. I want to challenge you to think about that tonight. And I want to challenge you to be able to say and look to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're where life is found. I want you more than anything else. You alone have the words of eternal life. Where else can I go? I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. My life is yours. My life is open-handed to you. Do in me and through me what you want to do. So I want to pray for us, and then I'm going to give you guys a few minutes to, to discuss, and uh, then we'll, we'll close our time tonight. All right, let's pray. Father, your word is hard. Your word is challenging. And as I have studied for this and looked through this, it's been as much a challenge to me as I hope it's been to these students tonight. To ask the question of, are we just looking to, are we, are we looking to you or are we looking to the benefits of you? Are we looking to you as a, as a means to an end? Are we looking to you as, as a system, as a concept for us to um, find you know, solutions to our problems in life and find meaning? Or are we looking to you truly, a relationship with you, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ uh, to truly provide us life? I know too many times in my, in my own life it's easy for me to, to settle for a religious system, to settle for the, the same routines, to settle for just a little bit of time with you, to even to take a little um, small piece of the word of life and not take a, a full meal of it and really indulge in you and just kind of gaze on Jesus each day. So I pray for these students that you would help them to see clearly, really through the power of your spirit, the beauty of Jesus. To see that he is the all-satisfying treasure that we were made to exist for. We were made to love and worship and live for. And that they would look at Jesus and see who he is and then look to the rest of the world and say, what else? What is this to me? Take the world, but give me Jesus. He is worth it. And that we're willing to lay down everything else to love and treasure and worship you and follow you in this world. So I pray that you give them that clarity tonight, that you would uh, challenge them as they go throughout the rest of the week. But as we take time to discuss tonight, I pray that you give us clarity and honesty and encouragement in our conversations. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.